Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, I'm joined by lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about his much-anticipated 2023 forecast. Logan, welcome to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here, Sarah. Happy New Year, and here we go with the housing market. Yes, this is the 2023 forecast, which I've been asking you about for a long time, and I know others have as well. So this is great. Uh, We published that this morning, and we're going to do a deep dive into it. So let's get started. We're coming off of the savagely unhealthy 2022 market. And then we, we had, you know, housing go into a recession because of mortgage rates. So I'll, I'll leave it to you to take it from there. Yes. So things have been a uh, very hectic post-2020, which uh, unfortunately, you know, this was the time in my economic work where I thought, okay, you know, we're going to get a little bit more home buying, um, that big patch of the millennials that will come in and then, you know, housing should be very stable. I call it replacement buyer demand, not not a housing boom. And then unfortunately, what occurred is in 2020, inventory broke to all-time lows. And before even COVID hit us, housing was breaking out to the point to where it would have been very concerning about home price growth back then. Um, and then COVID happened and in, in that in that relationship, it, it made the it made it a lot worse. And again, you know, my work is based on my own models, and I've done this for over twelve years. This is why I always say, if people don't forecast with their name and face, they're useless, right? Uh, uh, because you, you, it's not the it's not the final answer that matters. It's the why. So always ask people about their forecasts and their models, so then you could actually have some kind of idea if the person's actually authentic and. What I've seen over the last 12 years is like 95% of the people aren't authentic when they talk about housing economics. But what occurred at the end of 2020 was there was a real threat of home prices accelerating because of inventory channels and the replacement buyer demand. Um, uh, it was a big highlight of the work in 2021, you know, talking about we have to worry about prices accelerating, not a forbearance crash. And and uh, uh, I had a strict policy. We grew home prices just at 23% in five years during this five-year period of 2020 to 2024. We'll be okay. That changed, right? That variable changed. By the end of 2021, I lost my affordability index. My affordability index is something I go all the way back to 2013. I talk about that in the forecast article. And then in 2022, things got much worse. January, February, and March, home prices were accelerating. We broke at all-time lows in inventory. Rates were just simply too low. There was no way to create any kind of balance in the housing market. That then created the savagely unhealthy housing market. When something like that happens with shelter, it's a big deal. And uh, <clears throat> rates started to go up, and then they started to explode higher. And the detriment that I see what happened in 2022 that uh, that um, hopefully we don't see happen in 2023 is the new listings data started to decline noticeably earlier than normal. Um, we had this happen during COVID, right? So when this occurs, you could have waterfall dives in demand um, because again, the the component of home buying or first time home buyers, move up buyers, move down buyers, cash buyers, investors. When you lose the new listings data, you lose a good chunk of the buyers out there. So you have a vacuum. We saw that in COVID, but in COVID, the difference was 
new listings data started to recover as the demand got up. Really didn't see that uh, uh, after rates got to 6% because people just said, you know what, financially, it's not the best thing for me to move at this point. Uh, so that is something to keep an eye on in 2023. But here we are um, working from a very low bar in a lot of data lines. That's why a theme is, you know, the bar is so low, we can trip over it. Uh, so we have to put data into context. And this is why the 2023 Housing Wire weekly tracker is created. Um, I really did not have to worry about, you know, high velocity economic data in the previous expansion, uh, especially from 2012 to 2019. We always had plenty of inventory to buy. This is why I was never a low inventory person in the previous expansion. I've written about that a lot. It's been a big talking point of mine. But here, when inventory broke to all-time lows with this demographic match, it could be a concern. Um, we need weekly data to track everything to look forward because if a market turns, uh, if you're waiting for old data to, to catch up, uh, it's not going to be useful to people. So looking out, you know, 30, 60, 90 days, I think it will give people some value. And that's really a part of the theme of the 2023 forecast. We're going to give you a, an idea of what to expect. But when the market turns, right, uh, uh, we'll be there and we'll be looking ahead and not focusing on old news, uh, which was, you really didn't have to worry about that in the last expansion, but here we just have to adjust to the reality of the world we live in. I mean, one of the biggest questions is housing's in a recession. When is the recession going to end? Yes. And to me, it's, you know, I think the interview I gave on CNBC kind of in August, there's no material change in housing until rates fall. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you, you know, one of the, one of the earlier articles I wrote for housing wire is that, you know, a better economy means rates are going to have to go up, right? And uh, housing is so uh, impacted by rates more than any other sector that uh, until rates fall with duration, nothing should change from the housing recession. Remember, the housing recession for me that started on June 16th, 2022, I'm really particular with my dates, if people haven't noticed. Um, it's when we have a sector of the economy or an economy itself that Demand is falling, production is falling, jobs are being lost, and incomes are being lost. Incomes meaning that the you know uh, total incomes start to fall because there's less money in the sector. That all started on June 16th, uh, 2022. Going on from that, what we've seen is housing permits and starts are falling, home sales are falling, uh, uh, jobs are being lost in the housing sector, and incomes are falling. So that looks traditionally normal to me. The odd debate that I've had in the last six months is that people want to make a housing bull versus bear debate just because prices were up in 2022. That's not how housing economics works, right? Uh, this is last year was a really good example of it. And going back to 2006 was a really good example. Housing went into recession in 2006. Prices weren't collapsing then. Uh, uh, but the economics of housing is different than what people talk about a lot with housing. It's just really on home prices. And uh, I had the same dilemma in the previous expansion where I talked about we're going to have the weakest housing recovery ever from you know 2008 to 2019. It's going to be very slow. And nobody really cared because prices were still going up. So that's my world. It's different than everyone else's. But again, my job is to connect the dots, right? We want to be the detective, not the troll. So the forecast here and everything in the weekly tra tracker is designed to give you authentic, real information, right? Uh, and it's not the most exciting thing in the world, I know, but at least it's something real. And we back-tested it and we've looked at economic cycles and and that's how it's really worked since the Peloponnesian War. <laughs> I appreciate that. So let's, let's get into some specifics. Home prices. 
What's your forecast for home prices? So last year, got it wrong. Uh, before the year started, I had a big price growth deceleration um, to about 5.2 to 6.7%. Uh, this was just assuming that if global yields rose, uh, you know, especially Germany and Japan, it's the first time ever in my work where I targeted two other countries' 10-year yield before ours. Uh, we could get rates to four to four and a half percent, possibly, you know, 4.75 if, if the spreads got really bad. But because of that, I thought the growth rate of pricing would fall down to that level. We're not going to end up uh, uh, there. Uh, most likely, it's going to be between 6.9 to uh, 8.2 or 8.3%. That's that's what the year is going to um, end up. And you got to remember, housing doesn't move like stocks. So traditionally, one of the things I've talked about over here is you really need two years of weakness and demand, right, to change the pricing model depending on where prices was. This is why I've always talked about housing 2018 and 19, right? There's a lot of things in this housing market that look like 2018 and 19, except, you know, in 2017, we didn't have 38% home price growth as the trailing end going into 2018. And mortgage rates just went to 5%. Uh, so 5.875% for me, going all the way back to 2013, and in the article, I even highlight this in, in previous work, my affordability models really get tripped up. This is also assuming that price growth models were normal, right? Not the accelerated home price growth. So I'm looking if as long as mortgage rates stay above 5.875%, if you're following the trend of home prices, right? It's, it's, not, it's not declining in a very aggressive fashion. Some of the data lines are, are, are very mild. Some of them are a little bit more extreme. But when we saw rates get to 7.375, the, the ability to sell homes needs price decline, needs price cuts, right? So that's the functioning marketplace, right? For myself, I just need home prices nationally to fall 15% to get my model back by 2024. So the article actually really highlights it. I'm just following what I've always followed here. So I'm looking for 5.9 to 7.4% declines in home prices. As long as rates stay above 5.875, the ability to sell what is available uh, uh, needs an affordability index to match. Now, people go, wait a second, total inventory is low. This is true, right? Total inventory was low back in 2018 and 19 as well. But Home pro mortgage rates getting to 5% really didn't damage the existing home sales market. And the reason I say that is that we only had three mild negative year-over-year -year prints that year. Because people don't know how to read purchase application data, they immediately in 2018 went into some big housing crash without the demand really falling. It's a different case right now. We see these big major declines uh, uh, in the year-over-year -year, uh, purchase application. And a lot of that is, again, if new listings does not grow, you lose that equity seller buyer. That equity seller buyer tends to be the best home buyer we have. Why? Because at their age, their wages are much higher than a first-time home buyer. And also they have the nested equity uh, um, power right there. So as long as this continues, you're losing the best home buyer out there, right? Or the most financial capacity mortgage buyer, right? Of course, there's cash buyers and investors. That's a different subject. So that's what I'm looking for for this year, as long as that trend continues. The only way to for me to see that reverse, if mortgage rates go below 5.875, head to 5% and duration, right? Time. Housing price in indicators, in a sense, lag, really. Uh, uh, with the weekly tracker, we're trying to get uh, ahead of any kind of major turns. 
But that's how I get to that level. And that's why I always say, for anybody that was telling you home prices were going to crash from 2012 to 2022 and talked about it in 2020, you get their name and face and you get their forecast. You force them to show you their price forecast. To this date, I am waiting for the last two months of the year. I have not gotten anybody's price forecast for 2020 because they don't do this stuff, right? Uh, you should forecast your stuff every single year. You should create a model. And then these are the authentic, real people out here. The rest are just trolling for whatever purposes their midlife crisis is, that's that's what they're going to do. But here we create a model. We try to connect the dots. And again, what drove this low rates to high rates to rates right now, rates are just simply too high to change that. That's how I get there with home prices for 2023. And going back all the way to 20, uh, 2010, I started writing at the end of 2010. I've only had two years where I've had price declines. That was for 2011 and 2012. From 2013 to 2022, price increases. This is how we get to uh, a, a historical work and a dynamic to show people, uh, follow people that track this for a living and do do forecast every single year and then look at their forecast and then you get to see. And here is a little bit more detailed than other people. A lot of people like to do 10%, 15%, 20%. Let us go right. out there. Not, not the case here. We try to create every, connect every single dot to where home prices are. I think it was really striking to me when I read your forecast that uh, a decline of 5.9% to 7.4% is so much lower than what a lot of other people had expected. And also, if you're thinking about coming off of the highs of the last two years, I mean, it doesn't even get us back to 2019 levels. Getting back to 2019 levels really would, uh, you need about a 44% decline. And part of the problem with major nominal home price crashes with non-distressed sellers is that a lot of times um, the bank's not going to even let you get there, especially if you go under your equity. So uh, if you don't have a forced seller, and this is the this is the big thing about housing, it's shelter. It's not an investment. Everyone out there that's talking about prices, most of the time, most of the people are talking about it like an investor, like you sell to be homeless, Right. What has occurred right now is that we've created, you know, and this is a big, big, big theme of my economic work and housing work for over a decade. We created the best household balance sheet American citizens in our lifetimes, right? And that's part of the 2005 bankruptcy reform laws and the 2010 QM laws. Educated people do not sell their homes to be homeless and to do something detrimentally wrong to their finances. We don't have any evidence in recent history outside of some kind of either drug abuse or alcohol or some, some, something that's not correct with the, the functioning person. But traditionally, that's not the case. So what happened last year is rates went from 3 to 6% and people are like, I ain't buying. Oh, forget it. Right? It wasn't like, oh, I'm selling at the top. Right? The prostitution of housing has always been on. Guess what? Sell, buy, sell. What are you? Who's crazy enough to buy at these prices? Who's crazy enough to buy these prices has been used from 2012, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. It'll be here for the next 100 years. People need shelter to live. They need to start their families and move, right? And they don't give that up to be homeless, especially when they're employed. So the transaction models is a traditional seller is a traditional buyer of a home, right? Are there people that sell to rent? Of course, but that's always been the case. So here, we have now two historical years evidence. What happens when new listings data declines? You get a vacuum in demand. 
We saw the waterfall dive in demand in COVID. We saw the waterfall dive in demand in uh, 2022 and inventory levels still on a historical basis adjusting to population households are the lowest levels ever recorded in U.S. history. Why? Because people are doing well. And that's, in a sense, part of the savagely unhealthy housing market. We authentically finally paid the price of not having enough product. If listings were back to normal, two to two and a half million, we wouldn't have this problem. But we started going into 2023, breaking to all-time lows, and we couldn't really get out of it. And now we have you know, this, this problem about people not wanting to list their house. That's such a big portion of what's going to happen in 2023. We need people to list their home, sell, move by, and have a functioning housing market, which we have not had post-2020. Well, I was going to ask you about mortgage rates, but let's put a pin on that and let's go into inventory since you brought it up. Let's let's talk about where we are in inventory. Yeah. And I think this one is the one one of the things I'm going to get wrong in 20, uh, um, 2023. Oddly enough, uh, I went on Mike Simonson's uh, Altos Research uh, uh, Top of the Minds podcast uh, in, kind of in June, and we talked about the housing market. Of course, back then, um, when four to five percent mortgage rates weren't doing the damage, I thought, and when I talk about damage, I was looking for 18 to 22 percent for four week moving average year over year declines in purchase application. We were getting mid to high single digits. That's not big enough. Uh, I was worried that rates had gone up so much so fast and that if the economic data got weak, weaker, bond yields would come back down and we would lose the only thing that we have in America to try to create a balanced housing market. But in that conversation with Mike, I said, the history of inventory past 2010 uh, has been that when you have weakness in demand, when the markets are functional, right, when there's no more distress in inventory or anything, over time, inventory can grow. We saw this happen in 2014, right? Uh, 2013, rates went from 35 to 4.5%. That was the big drama event back then, right? The Fed was like, oh my God, rates went up so fast. That, that's really distorting the market. Um, we were able to create a couple hundred thousand homes more in 2014. Uh, that was like 2.3 to 2.4 million active listings back then, right? That was it. Uh, just for some context for, for listeners, uh, the peak of the housing bubble uh, distress sale inventory explosion was about 4 million. So I was assuming if rates just stayed high enough, we could get inventory growth, get to a certain level. And then in 2023, we could get total national inventory back to the 2019 levels. Uh, and I'm still sticking to that call. But what occurred literally one week after that <laughs> interview with Mike, um, new listings data started to decline. Inventory is most likely going to start uh, 2023 with below a million. So to get a kind of a half a million jump, you really need to see inventory growth from new listings and demand weakness. And what occurred actually, you know, toward the last uh, part of the year is when rates fell from 7.375 to 6 6%, uh, we saw a pickup in purchase application data working from a very low level. So it's stabilized and the weekly inventory levels got uh uh, lower than I even thought with rates above 5%. Uh, with Altos Research, the single-family listings are now under half a million. Uh, didn't think that could happen. We were like almost at five 580,000 at the end of October. So that was a noticeable jump. So it's going to be difficult for my inventory call to be right. Um, but I'm going to stick to it because every single year we get traditional inventory growth. That happens all the time outside of some chaotic event uh, COVID and the biggest spike in mortgage rates in history, uh, 
it should be able to grow, right? And hopefully the days on market is growing, gets us above 30 days. That's my number one metric. So check me on this, Logan. What you're saying is your call, the call that you made for inventory, 2023 inventory in June of last year, you're sticking with that, which is 1.52 to 1.93 million. Yeah, we break we break into that. Now there are parts of the parts of the US that are already in 2019 levels. Those are good places. Um, but uh there's parts of the US that just can't get any traction. And again, the the bigger concern for me is the same concern I had uh earlier in 2022. Um, you know, in a sports analogy, we always say, you know, the ex-high school basketball coach in me, if you let a team stay close to you in the fourth quarter, there's a shot for them to win, right? Um, if inventory levels are still historically low, right? And we've just had the biggest spike in mortgage rate history. If rates fall back down, that just means we're stuck. And being stuck is the biggest concern during this year's 2020 to 2024. If for some reason mortgage rates collapsed and everybody refinanced and People just don't want to move, buy and sell normally because they're doing really well. That happened, right? I'm not even, I was never a believer of the mortgage rate lockdown. I've written about it that I don't believe it in. I think it's an urban legend. But the things that happened last year, um, it it occurred, right? And I'm sitting here thinking, my God, this is not, this is like one of the worst things that can happen to housing, right? First world problems, of course, right? Homeowners are doing really good, but a mortgage rate lockdown premise is really that mortgage rates collapse to all-time lows and everyone refinances. Check. Um, then mortgage rates jump up bigger than any other time in recent history. And I'm not talking like one to one and a half percent like we usually see sometimes. I'm talking about two and a half to four and a half percent. Didn't think that would happen. Check. Okay. Then the third one is it's happening in a year where prices are still growing, right? We're not we're not working from you know two or three years of price declines, right? You know to offset the affordability of higher rates, you know uh, prices coming out. We're not we're not there yet. So check it actually occurred. Uh, something I never believed in. All three variables happened, and it's not a positive in the sense for having a functioning housing market. It's great for homeowners, right? Like I always, I always stress, people are for some reason people are worried about homeowners. We're dealing with inflation. We're dealing with higher rates. Also, balance sheets are good, right? The economy is still moving in a sense. Traditionally, we would all be talking about deep recessions at this point. But no, it's just that homeowners are in a almost a different category than everyone else uh, in America. And stop making up stuff, these fabrications of these data lines. Look, we just had 12 years to show this to be the case. We are literally in 2023. Even with home sales trending at 2007 levels, inventory back then in 2007 was 4 million. Here we are. We're going to break under a million again. NER data, right? Altos Reacher, single family, uh, is going under 500,000 at the last week of the year, right? It's not the best environment, right? Uh, and again, we we finally paid the price of not having enough product out there. And people go, well, let's let's get investors to sell their investment property so we could, okay, then that's pitting uh, renter fa- rental families versus home buyers families, right? And the reason why you don't see the government saying, "Here's some tax credits, sell your house," they're going to go, "Oh, you're dislocating a family." Politically, not the best thing in an election, especially now, right? Give tax benefits to investors so they could kick a renter family out. And this is where we are. This is we're stuck here, and hopefully, 
hopefully 2019 inventory because once we get back to 2019 inventory levels, all my low inventory talk goes out the door, right? I just go back to how I was from 2012 to 2019. There's plenty of inventory to buy homes during those levels. I've written about that a lot. But at these levels, oh, you can see what happened. Again, you go back to the housing bubble years, you compare it now. We had hotter home price growth, less sales, um, but the home price growth was much faster this time around. So how is demand less than those years and home price growth faster? Well, there's one data line that's completely different. Total inventory in America was from the year 2000 was 2 million. It grew all the way up to 2.5 million, 2.5 million, yeah, in 2005. And then we had this parabolic spike here. Total inventory levels were falling for many years and it just broke to the levels adjusting to population households is the lowest levels ever recorded in history. These things actually matter when you look at it in that kind of context. So when you have stable replacement demand, that means more and more of those people are just bidding uh, for the, the less homes on the market. That's why we needed higher rates to kind of break this or else it's just it's just a very savagely unhealthy housing market. And it's got a lot less savagely unhealthy, right? Uh, days on market is growing. Uh, while total inventory isn't back to 2019, the parts of the US that were really overheated, they are. That's a positive, not a negative. That's how I'm looking at it this year. That inventory, is, the importance of inventory is hard to overstate, but we have to get to the number one thing that most people are probably listening to this forecast for, which is mortgage rates. Where are mortgage rates going to go in 2023? What's your forecast? Yes. And for me, mortgage rate targeting is a secondary thing for me. The 10-year yield is the more important part. In, in fact, I've never talked about the mortgage-backed security market. The only thing I've ever written about is that I don't even ever talk about the mortgage-backed security markets because the historical relationships on the 10-year yield and mortgage rates going back to 1971 has been flawless, right? The spreads could get wide, as we've seen, right? Mortgage rates could be higher or lower than the normal spreads. That's that's a fair uh, discussion. But where the 10-year yield goes, mortgage rates go. And there's all this conspiracy theories for 12 years. Well, if the Fed doesn't do any QE or the ballot, whatever it says, rates will get to 8 to 10%. For some reason, they're fascinated by 8 to 10% rates. Never knew why, but you know, guess what? We just had the hottest inflation data in a long time. Uh, the 10-year yield got to four and a quarter percent when the market was being very distressed because the U.S. dollar was expanding higher, right? We are, I think, uh, as we talk here, I think we're at uh, 3.69 percent. Um, I'm looking at the 10-year yield like this, uh, 3.21 percent to four and a quarter, right? That that should be the normal range uh, for this year. Uh, the growth rate of inflation is falling, right? The Fed is almost done hiking. And uh, we're starting to think about when the labor market breaks, what is the Fed going to do? Uh, so if you're looking at the full, high end, you're seven and a quarter percent, assuming the spreads are still wide. Uh, and then the bottom end would be about five and a quarter uh, a percent. And assuming we get a little bit of better spread actions where the mortgage rescue is better, you could get under five percent. But that 3.21 percent, uh, when I uh, that level right there, we got to remember, we got down to 3.48% before the year was out. Mortgage rates got to 6.12%, right, right about there. That's with a very wide spread. If the spreads were basically uh, uh, normal, we'd have five and a quarter to five and a half, right? That, you know, that relatively, that, that, that would be the case. If the spreads do really get better, 
and the bond yields go. So the low point of the 10-year yield, this means the Fed is pivoting in the sense where jobless claims are breaking. The bond market gets ahead of the Federal Reserve and says, we're going into recession. Okay, your inflationary story is over. Um, 2.72%. That would be the low. That would need the U.S. economy to- That's bond yields. Yeah, that's bond yields. Remember, I target bond yields first. Mortgage rates are second. We try to work off of that. And as you can see, the spreads got so wide uh, that mortgage rates are higher than what they traditionally would be. Uh, so think three and a quarter to four and a quarter on the 10-year yield. Um, and then what we want to think about is when the when the Fed pivots, the bond market should pivot ahead of it. This is why the weekly tracker is tracking job uh, jobless claims, initial claims and continuing claims at this point. Job openings today, over 10 million, right? Our big talking point here at Housing Wire during the COVID-19 recovery, nobody else on planet Earth was talking about job openings going to get to 10 million. I'm a big job openings guy. But at this point of the economic cycle, paper, rock, scissors, claims over jolts, right? Uh, so when jobless claims break, you want to go with that rather than the job openings data. And then we'll we'll take it from there. So that could take the 10-year yield below uh, 3%, 2.72. That Again, we're at that point, we're in a recession right? Things are going to be changed. The whole dynamics, I think, of the Federal Reserve would change. Uh, that's predicating to their structural belief that they, they're they always late and they always change their tune. Uh, um, and the growth rate of inflation is falling. And thankfully, and I think and I think everyone on Twitter, this has been a big talking point of mine, uh, shelter inflation lags severely on the CPI data and uh, um, we've been talking about this for a very long time. The Federal Reserve has created their own index to adjust to that. So we don't have to worry about the Fed just putting, you know, blinder on on this. So 12, again, 12 months from now from going back to October, the growth rate of inflation should fall. So the breakouts and yields in this kind of environment above four and a quarter, that's when the dollar got strong, really would take some market dynamics. But if the U.S. economy, the labor market breaks on them. I think that is the bigger dynamic that changes. That'll be the big story for 2023. That's why we have the weekly tracker. So we could talk about the 10-year yield. We could talk about the bond market uh, and its relationship to jobless claims, where the Fed's going, how's the inflationary data looking, uh, what does it look like with a more adjusted shelter inflation. That's that's the focus for this year with the 10-year yield and mortgage rates. Again, it's completely nerdy. But this is kind of how I've operated. Uh, just for some historical reference, going back to 2015 is when I started to incorporate the 10-year yield and rates every single year, 2015, 16, 17, 18, and even going to 20, we said 1.6 to 3%. We stay in that channel always, 3.5% to 4.75 mortgage rates, depending where we are in the data, where is rates going to go. Um, when COVID was apparent, said, hey, listen, we're going to have negative 21 basis points to 62 basis points. Mortgage rates are going to collapse in this fashion. Um, in 2021, talked about 0.62 to 1.94. You know, we're not going to get above 4% uh, in this. Global bond yields are so low. Last year, you know, was the first time I've ever, 1.94% is is like religion to me on the 10-year yield. Last year was the first year I talked about that the 10-year yield can break. That's if global yields rise. Global yields were rising. But again, in March, everything changed. The Fed structurally went very aggressive uh, telling the market they're going to be very aggressive. Uh, uh, the Russian invasion boosted oil prices and wheat prices. So there was all these inflationary things that they were dealing with. 
The market at first kind of didn't believe them to a degree. The 10-year yield got back down to two, two and a half percent. But then the Fed is like, no, we're going to tighten. We're going to tighten. The economy is still firm and yields started to go back up. So we're kind of dealing with this very, very unbelievable year of having bond yields just uh, uh, really escalate higher in mortgage rates. Uh, don't see that occurring, you know, having mortgage rates go uh, uh, from 7 to 12%. But we want to make sure to keep the weekly tracker in place to take all the economic data and find out where the 10-year yield uh, is going in the future based on events, right? We're going to talk about what reports are coming in at the week and and, and, and what auctions or, or anything that can impact the bond yields. But that jobless claims data is going to be key this year. I appreciate that deep dive, and I would uh, encourage our listeners to go read your forecast because there is a lot there. The headline on mortgage rates, uh, in case they got a little bit lost in that, is five and a quarter to seven and a quarter in 2023. But you you talk about bond yields in a way and the spreads in a way that you could see it. Mortgage rates could get below five percent given certain things, which you just you just did a, a deep dive on, but I would encourage people to go look at, as you said, all the nerdy stuff that you have uh, in the written form. And we talked about this at the end of October. We wrote uh, um, at the end of October, how do we get rates with a five handle? Um, and uh, that's, you know, the 10-year yield was a four and a quarter, you know, uh, and we, we, we gave a premise on how rates can fall. Again, a lot of people are still in the eight to 10% camp then. We almost did it last year, right? We got to six and one eighth. And, and, and this is, I think, very key for everyone in the industry to remember. The headline rate that you're seeing offered um, a lot of times is not the final rate given. Because of buy downs, temporary buy downs, seller costs, people paying down to get the rates, the rates are systematically lower than what they what they see for some of these transactions. So as long as the market is like this, where sellers need to get more buyers in, uh, the headline rate is shown, but the real rate is probably going to be a little bit lower in this kind of environment. So getting back down to six and one, uh, 1.2% before the year was out, you could see what happened. Even the builder's confidence index, look at how six months went positive for the first time, right? So people go, why are the builder stocks holding up so well? And why are they? Well, they're anticipating rates to go lower, right? And they can move products, right? Uh, if, if, if you get a five handle on mortgage rates or getting toward 5%, the builders can sell those homes, right? So we're just in that crazy environment again. And I always stress, this is why we need a weekly tracker uh, to gather everything up every single week so people could kind of have a forward-looking vision, not a backwards. Of course, what happened with COVID is that the forward-looking data looked great, wonderful. We're already recovering. People were still stuck two, three months behind and they, they were lagging the recovery at that point. Thanks for, uh, you know, telling all of our audience about that housing market tracker, which we just debuted um, the last week of the year. And then we, we are doing that. You are writing that every Monday so they can look for that. But Logan, thank you for being on. Thank you for telling us about the 2023 forecast. Pleasure is all mine, Sarah. Sarah, it is going to be a great year because every Monday the tracker is going to be up and live. And I'm very excited. About it. <laughs> and we'll be talking about it every week. Thanks, Logan. have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, 
answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the Housing Wire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like Housing Wire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight 